Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to Get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 80 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, episodes 51 through 55, where evil swords can possess you, the future is written in manga, and the solution to defeating an immortal vampire is to get a dog. Yeah, it, it was, it'd be especially helpful if that dog uh, can pull the hair off of the face of people and also fart in people's faces. That's a very important yeah. part of this. Um, we learned That's actually that, a crucial part, I believe. Yeah, we actually learned all about this. Uh, the creator um, is obviously an immortal vampire, so he would be the best to give away that information. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting into uh, uh, too many conspiracy theories today. Let, let's just jump in. Anyways, did, it, did you know that that was a conspiracy theory? <laughs> Yes, it's like that, a legit conspiracy theory where people are like playing around with it and they're just like, he's a vampire. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I feel like so many people say that so many different people are vampires. Like people say that I Keanu like Reeves is, is a vampire. Those, <laughs> this is like one of those where like, it's like the lizard people. Like, okay, that's like a fake thing, you know, like if there's a, like, you know, I. I think that conspiracy theories are fascinating and they are an interesting combination of um, selective investigation and mental gymnastics. And I think that uh, this sounds more like people are like, hey, I can make the theory of it's this is like a fan theory where like fans are like, it, I think it would be cool if this were true and I can make that seem like it's backed up by the text. And here I go. Yeah. But them doing it with like this real person, because yeah. like vampires aren't a thing <laughs> in our world. That's not it's not a thing that happens. Uh, but uh, uh, other than that, there there is my favorite fan theory of all time, which is that all of the different uh, Pixar movies are connected um, in like the same universe, which is just my. That's favorite. a really good example. I love of what that. I was talking about because there's no real evidence to suggest that but there's also no evidence against it so you can make a case for it yeah and you can't like really disprove it necessarily but like there's also no reason that it would be true and there's not really anything suggesting that it is true aside from like probably a couple of easter eggs here and there which is more of like a film studio or filmmaker thing than a like in-universe canon suggestion yeah I do. I just. I, I love it when people get really into that. Um, my other favorite one that I they heard about recently was that uh, the movie Snowpiercer is the uh, is the uh, the the sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> oh, I don't think I've heard. I thought you were gonna see like the sequel to the MCU or something like that. No, it's fucking. It's uh, you should just read it. I mean, or there's a video on it. It's like it's like twenty uh, minutes and it's fantastic. This is like. Conspiracy theories are so much fun because they're so creative and interesting and you get to follow this like line of thinking that is fundamentally flawed either because it's working on proving a premise mm -hmm. using flimsy evidence 
or by proving the pre- a premise by ignoring evidence that would disprove it, even though that evidence exists. Or I guess the third that we kind of talked about of like trying to prove something that isn't disproven, but doesn't have any particular reason to exist. Yeah. Like just asserting something and then being like, because that thing is not automatically instantly and easily disproven, it must be true. That's not necessarily how things work, but it's really fun to follow that kind of thinking until you get to the thing where like, there are a lot of people in America who literally think the earth is flat. (laughs) And who think that vaccines are dangerous instead of unvaccinated children being dangerous. Oh, no. Which is the actual truth. You're opening Uh, a Pandora's box that you cannot close, Blake. (laughs) Look, I tread lightly in some areas on this podcast, but there are some things, and I don't want to get, like, too political. I know I say political things offhandedly here and there because I can't help myself. (laughs) But, like, this is one of those things, like, if you believe that vaccines like cause autism it is demonstrably false and even easily disproven over many years now you can trace back that theory to its roots and that has been disproven and has no merit and was not corroborated and has not been corroborated also lots of us have been vaccinated including you and i and neither of us is autistic including a lot of other people who have been vaccinated Also, there are demonstrable bad things about not vaccinating your kids. So even if autism were a risk, it is easily argued that the alternative is worse. Yeah. Well, regardless, like, I don't want to soapbox too much here, but there are some things that I will mention because, like, I don't care if I offend anti-vax listeners because you're wrong. And it's easy to prove it in a thousand ways. And uh, our our last uh, our last conspiracy theory of the day is that uh, I secretly love these episodes of Stardust Crusaders. <laughs> okay, Spencer, I have to tell you, I am shocked that you said this to me, and I feel like it is a betrayal of us. And of the podcast, like when you don't pronounce the X in Hunter x Hunter. And I completely agree with you. I loved these episodes. It made me so... All five of them. Like, I was so... I I had a moment where I was like, oh, so all you had to do was get to this uh, new opening of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and the show turns around? Okay, cool. Which I hate, but also (laughs) love. The opening is, like, dumb... And then it keeps going, and you're like, I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so for all you JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fans who have been listening to our show and just, like, quietly, like, grinding your teeth together while you're having to listen Judging to us, us. hate on it, um, we are going to go ahead and jump into these episodes this week. There's not been a, a, a ton of stuff to go over in the anime world <laughs> I, that I've been paying attention to. I don't to. know it. Yeah, I don't know if you're in for a treat because we actually like it this time, or if this is going to be like way worse because we're not spending the whole time shitting all over it. <laughs> but uh, also, yeah, I, I, the only news I can think of off the top of my head, I didn't write anything down because I didn't see anything noteworthy. I've seen a couple of videos and articles talking about the animation in One Punch Man Season 2 being different than Season 1, but I haven't actually looked at or watched any of them, so I can't really comment on it. It doesn't really look any uh, different. It's it's uh, yeah. It's just like the people that were also just the, like you know tearing down um, uh, Mob Psycho 100 season two just because like it's it has like a, a different feel to it and it's because he's growing uh, up like 
the main character, like, mob inside of the show, one of the things about him is that they're showing, like, character growth. And people are like, this is not what I want to see from Mob Psycho 100. And I'm like, go fuck <laughs> yourselves. Like, it's it's a show. Yeah. Like, Well, this is... This is something I think that's more common in Japanese anime with the new release style that they've been doing, where they do seasons like we do here in the West, mm. rather than their usual style, which is to just release an episode a week forever until they're done. Yeah. Um, the seasons are better, but one thing that you get is that sometimes between seasons, animators, directors, um, production heads, or even animation studios might change. And so from one season to the next, the show might feel really different. That can happen in America, but it's a little bit less common. And when it does happen, it's usually more subtle. It You, you know, see, seasons of shows in America will often have changes in the writer's room. Some people will leave. Some people will come on. Occasionally, they will change the showrunner. And the showrunner is like the head writer, and that's the person that like sets the tone, that kind of makes the final decisions about where each plot is going and where the season as a whole is going. Yeah. And so when the showrunner changes, the show can change dramatically. A really good example of this is Community. Mm. Um, that show changes drastically between season three and four, and it never truly recovers. Um, it's always kind of playing catch up to get from what happened to it when the showrunners changed to where it was before that happened and it never quite succeeds and regardless of whether or not you agree with me on the quality there it is clear that there is a change in whoever is behind the scenes and what they are how they are how they work and how they think like it's different and you can feel it yeah and that's a good example it's more common with anime i think yeah you can it's not a bad thing you can really also feel it in the newest season of Brooklyn Nine Nine if you're watching it. Um, it oh, it, I'm not caught up. But. So, so it's not it's not a a quality issue. It's a speed issue, and they just don't they don't rest on the jokes as much. And I think that that's huh. just from like a comedic standpoint. But you can like I I don't know if this is more so like because I I consume a lot of media and I write as well and I think about it analytically you do, you... a lot. Um, but it's, it's, you can tell that the pace has changed and it's just like, it feels like a really drastic shift for me. Um, I I will say that's interesting too, because I think of it as a fast paced show for Mm. you. So for you to be saying that it is fast paced as compared to its previous self is surprising to me. Yeah. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to say, uh, uh, before we get started today is that, uh, there is a, a quick announcement, um, that, uh, a lot of, a lot of people were freaking out on about on Twitter. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that most people know about this that are listening to our show by this time. Um, but, uh, it, it officially got, um, the promised Neverland officially got renewed for its second season in 2020. Um, so I didn't know about that either. Yeah. So it just, they talked about it like five hours ago and I, my Twitter like exploded about it. Um, so (laughs) that's going to be happening. Um, I have finished the first season and I don't know where the fuck they're going with the second season. Um, but I haven't watched since we watched with that other podcast, but it's on my list of things to watch. So I'm going to catch up in the near future. My, my anime, uh, has been like, you know, what we're watching for this and then, uh, watching that in a small amount and also watching like Bungo Stray Dogs when I can bring myself to watch anime. Um, because I fucking Mm. love that show. (laughs) I gotta watch it. I can't believe that you're like, you're on it now after like... 
like I have been like reading about it, being like, "This sounds cool. This sounds like my kind of thing." Mm-hmm. And then I mentioned it to you, and you're like, "What was? What is that?" And now here we are, like two months in the future, and you're like, "I love it. I watch it all the time." And I'm like, "I still haven't watched any of it." Yeah, I, I, I like got halfway through it, and then I kind of put it down for a minute, and then I picked it up for like three more episodes, and then I put it down, and then I uh, finished mm-hmm. the first season, and uh, I got introduced to a lot of really badass characters that they are putting a spin on for the end of the first season. I was just like, Oh shit, I'm going to watch the rest of this show this week. So, um, (laughs) it was one of those things where like, I like my hero academia, when I originally picked it up, I was like, I was like, the show is really good. Um, but my biggest problem with it is that I just don't, I don't care about anybody, but, uh, the, the, you know, the two leads. He's a What? Izuku and um, and uh, Bakugo. Yeah, like I didn't care about anybody else. And like one of the things that I think that uh, that my hero really broke through on in the second season is just making you feel for everybody. Even like that guy that can just like talk to animals. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, they do a good job. My hero does a really good job because what they do, it's really clever. Is they'll have like. A couple, like one to three episodes to cover a little section of story and usually a couple of sections making up an arc. And they'll have Deku and Bakugo either together or separate and they will pair up one of their classmates with them. And it's one that hasn't been paired up before. So each time they're doing something, it's like we're focused on our main characters, but we're getting a new side character. And so we get to learn to love them in the safety and comfort of familiarity. Mm -hmm. And then we've been tricked into loving the entire cast. Yeah, that's what it is. We've We've been tricked into love. Speaking of being tricked into love, do you want to get going on JoJo's? (laughs) Oh my god, how relevant is that sentence? Uh, I know. I was like, I, we can't not transition now. Okay, here we go. So, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, previously on, uh, it was terrible. <laughs> that is the uh, short version of our entire coverage, except for maybe the first like three episodes of part one. Yeah, for real. That we both really loved. And I think this is the first time that we have really loved the entire coverage. There have been bright spots, but never for all of the episodes we watched in a single week since that first week. Yeah. Um, and if you want to know why we think that, listen to all the other JoJo's Bizarre Adventures episodes that we've done, and you will hear us talk about it every time. Um, this time, we're going to talk about our group of heroes, uh, collectively known, at least if you take the title as Red, as the Stardust Crusaders. There is Jojo, who is actually named Jotaro Kujo. Um, because of his name, you can shorten it to Jojo, and that is the thing of this series. It's an anthology series, so each part tells a different story, but utilizing some main character whose name can be in some way shortened to Jojo. And um, so far, all of them have been related. I'm not sure if that's true for Part 5, which is the currently airing one, but I know that it's true for Parts 1 through 3 so far. Um, Speaking of relatives, we have Jojo Sr., who I don't remember what his real name is. And he is the protagonist of Part 2, who is still alive and is the grandfather of Part 3's protagonist, Jotaro. He is back as an older man, and he is part of our hero crew. He has brought along his friend Avdal who is a man from, like, India, I think, or Egypt. Um, I don't remember where he's from. 
But anyway, it doesn't matter. They speak Japanese. So he, <laughs> um, he's been friends with Jojo Sr. for a while. Polnareff and Kakyoin are the final two members of our five-man band. And they are both around Jojo's age and have been picked up on the quest um, since they started. They have both appeared first as um, possessed villains and then when freed from the possession became allies um each of these characters has something called a stand and a stand is basically like an avatar that you can summon that will fight for you and have magic you know anime fights so jojo has a stand called star platinum which basically punches really fast he also has fast reflexes and as i'm reminded this episode that i had forgotten about he can extend his fingers really far and fast um, Jojo Sr. has a weird stand that allows him to see the future with a weird cost attached to it. Oh my god. And also I laughed so de- hard when they brought a new camera to him in this first I, episode. Yeah, I know. Because, okay, so we'll talk about it here. So Jojo Sr.'s stand ability allows him to take pictures of the future. But in order to do it, he has to break the camera that makes the picture. <laughs> So he's just destroying cameras. And then we later found out that he can also do it on a TV, but it doesn't break the TV and seems better. But then in this episode that we're going to cover today, he mentioned something about how doing the TV is like harder on him or some shit. Whatever. He wants cameras again. He also, his, his ability is called Hermit Purple, and it also creates purple thorny vines that he can occasionally use as you might think purple thorny vines could be used, like spiky ropes and stuff. Um, Paul Nareff has a um, a stand called Silver Chariot, which is a thin armored dude who looks like a knight with a sort of rapier type sword. Mm-hmm. And he is a super speedy swordsman type. Kakyoin has Hierophant Green, who we haven't seen for a while. And I'm like getting the impression that the author's like, I don't have anything to do with Kakyoin, so he's just going to be in the background. Yeah, for real. But, uh, it, yeah, Let's his stand blind Hierophant him. Green. <laughs> It, yeah, it can um, slither around and kind of change its shape, and it also can shoot diamond or like emerald pieces, like a machine gun bullets, mm-hmm. um, out of its body. And then Avdal has um, uh, Magician's Red, which is a bird-headed humanoid that is wreathed in and can control fire. Um, all five of these dudes are traveling together because Jojo. His mom is sick, which is Jojo Sr.'s daughter. She has become sick because she started to develop her own stand. And unlike the rest of them, she has not spent her entire life bodybuilding and um, (laughs) combat training. So she can't handle the strain of having a stand and is dying. Yeah. Um, They are going on a quest to prevent her death. And their uh, attempt to prevent her death is to kill a guy named Dio, Dio is an immortal vampire who was originally introduced in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Part 1, which is like the great or great-great-grandfather of the Part 3 Jojo. Um, they were both killed at the end of that, but because Dio is immortal, he was actually just decapitated and dropped in the ocean. He was dug up. He has attached his deta- decapitated head to the body of Jojo the original. And because of this union, he has his immortal vampire powers, but he has also awakened his stand, and the characters have conjectured this has caused other stands across the world to awaken. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, they have been on their way to Egypt, where Dio is. They have beaten all of his stand users. They know this because, for some largely inexplicable reason, the stand users' powers match up with the cards in a tarot deck. 
and they only have one card left, which is the world, which they have correctly assumed is the name of Dio's stand. However, they are about to find out that there are a few more stand users, and that, I think, brings us finally to episode 51. Yeah, so episode 51, Iggy the Fool and Gebson Duels, part one. Um, So this is going to connect... I guess we'll just do 51 and 52 together. Yeah, so it's... The second second episode that we're going to cover is just the exact same name except for part two. Um, so, uh, the, these episodes are, um, these two episodes are going to be the first, um, time that we are going to be introduced to our new gym leaders of, um, of Egypt. Um, (laughs) the Egyptian region has nine new gym leaders. Yes. Um, before you could battle the champion, no elite four. Yeah, for real. Um, so you have to, you have to battle your way up into you get to Egypt and then there are nine shadowy figures that appear in true shonen fashion. Um, they are, are not, uh, not revealed, um, uh, who they're going to be. Um, but they are, we are to guess from the rest of the show that they are to be really badass fighting villains. Like, like the, I was also new surprised that there's battlers. only nine. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure we've got like 20 episodes to get through or something. So yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I mean, if <laughs> if we are to understand this, it's going to be two episodes of the same fight and then a uh, ridiculous episode in between and then two more episodes. Um, and so in, good, in which tr- I never say about this show. Also, one of my favorite things about this is like, I, I, I will say it again when we get introduced it to them but like those two characters uh on the uh, on the true pokemon theme of these episodes are like the fucking team rocket of this universe <laughs> oh my god they so are <laughs> um so um so this episode is these two episodes are mostly as most episodes are they are mostly fights between the JoJo crew and the stand user. Mm-hmm. However, at the beginning, there's always some thing that like advances the plot a little bit so that they can get from where they left off their last fight to where they're going to have the new fight. This time, what happened is they arrived in Egypt, which is a big get because they've been trying to get there for over 20 episodes now. Mm-hmm. And so they're finally here, and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders becomes JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stardust Crusaders Battle in Egypt. So it is technically, like, separated as, like, sort of a sub-series of Stardust Crusaders or something. Almost like a part four, but it is not part four. Um, So they're here, and JoJo Sr. is going to be like, hey, I have a surprise for you. We're in Egypt, and we have this big fight coming up ahead of us, so I thought that we needed another member of our group. Yeah. And we're going to be introduced to that member when a helicopter arrives to bring him. Yeah. So the helicopter arrives, and these two menacing guys get out of there that are from this foundation that... uh the Speedwagon Foundation, um, and both of them are assumed by Polnareff and the rest of the crew to be, like, you know, this new stand user that is going to come and help them, named Iggy. Um, we don't know yet um, that, secretly, Iggy is a dog. Um, he is sitting on the plane. Uh, he is a little teeny tiny dog um, who has... Yeah, the... it's like a Boston Terrier or something. Yeah, he has he has the most ridiculous face of a dog that I have ever seen I in hate anime. his face. <laughs> it's like... It's like too humanoid to be a dog's face properly, but yeah. not humanoid enough to be human. So it's real uncanny valley material. And every time they show the dog, I'm like, mm, 
I don't like this. <laughs> Which, if anybody knows me, is not like me. Yeah. So there is something special about this dog. Number one, it has a stand. Number two, its stand is ridiculously powerful. Um, it can it's ma- super cool. Yeah, so it's basically a transformer that's made out of sand um, that can just, like, it can be a big giant dog or it can grow wings. It's like dog Gara. It's really cool. Um, and the, uh, the third thing about this dog is that he is a complete jackass. So, like, yeah. this dog, number one, he will not listen to you at all unless you feed him gum. Blake put it inside of his notes, don't feed your dog gum. Um, I Don't I, do it. Gum I, will hurt your dog and possibly kill it. Yeah. It, gum is bad for dogs. Do not give gum to your dogs. Number two, if, you, if you're just trying to be a normal person with this dog and pick it up, it will, instead of being nice to you and run up to you, it will jump on your face start to pull out your hair, and then just keep on farting on your face. It's just... And I want to hate this because it's, like, juvenile potty humor, but the way that they do it and the timing that they use on the farts is really funny, and I'm so (laughs) mad that I like this. But I literally was, like, sitting in my house just, like, after midnight last night. I'm watching these episodes, and I'm just like... That's so dumb. And after we've talked so much shit about the show, I kept being like, I cannot isolate why this is different from the rest of the show, but I hated the rest of the show and I loved this. Yeah. So I, I think- also it it specifically only attacks Paul Nareff, who has yeah. this giant like pompadour or uh, flat top kind of hair. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't attack anybody else. It, it's explicitly stated that he likes to pull out men's hair mm-hmm. but it's specifically targeting polnareff and it becomes kind of this running joke and it's very funny yeah that he myself. especially hates polnareff um polnareff is yeah. very upset by this because he um he is very all about his due so like once he finally gets a dog off of him uh because it goes to drink some of its coffee flavored gum by the way i've never heard of coffee flavored gum but apparently that's a thing um i remember caffeine gum Mm-hmm. When I was in my youth, I had some caffeine gum, and it tasted like probably insulation or something. But man, it got you going. Yeah, like coffee gum from the makers of Monster. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a real thing that has happened. Maybe not. It's probably Monster-flavored gum, and it just makes your heart explode in two seconds. Yeah, it's it's. they also created Surge you know, that gave people heart attacks mm. and probably for oh my God, I remember people talking so much shit about Surge when I was growing <laughs> up and I would just like drink it periodically. Like it wasn't my favorite drink or go-to or something I had a lot, but I was like, I'm counterculture. I'm like eight years old drinking a soda. <laughs> Anyways, um, the other thing that we're going to find out from the uh, Speedwagon Foundation is what's going on with Holly. Um, they are going to be given a ticking clock um, they are told that specifically she would be lucky to live for another, I think it's like two weeks. Um, it is. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I thought they already had a clock, but this seems to be news to them. So it, it maybe be an, it might be an accelerated clock or maybe they're just doubling down on the drama of it. But I, I appreciate it. This is, you know, they're kind of starting a new section of story. It's good to remind everybody of what's at stake. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing um, that is is going to be revealed in the same moment, um, after the, the dog is over in the side, he's going to perk up a little bit, and then uh, he's going to look over into the distance. Um, then we are going to be introduced um, to our, in, our new enemy, which is my favorite villain so far in the entire series. Um, his name there, is... Bef- let's, before we get into this, I want to talk about the tarot card thing. Oh because yeah, they're gonna they're gonna address this. They they basically the Speedwagon Foundation is like, here's your dog. That's number one. Number two, your your mom slash daughter is dying faster than you thought, and we wanted to let you know. Number three, one of our dudes was killed, but before he was killed, we found out that these nine people went to where we think Dio is, and we can safely assume that they are stand users, and. Everybody in the JoJo's group is like, that's insane. Every stand has to be connected to a tarot card. Now, I am almost certainly misremembering this, but that said, I believe that because of what they're saying now. However, I remember back when when stands were first introduced, they were like, oh, your stand is like a tarot card. That stand reminds me of this tarot card. Let's call it by that name, the tarot card's name. And very shortly thereafter, they started speaking as though these were hard and fast rules that stands had to play by and that they could only match up with tarot cards. And so when they're like, oh, there shouldn't be any more stand users because they didn't match the tarot cards. I'm like, number one, what is this magic system? Why is it connected to tarot cards? Number two... I still don't believe that you have an actual in-universe reason for believing that this is a restriction that must be true. And you've just kind of convinced yourselves of it. And now it's not true. And you're like really upset. And I'm like, yeah, duh. (laughs) (laughs) So they find out these nine people. uh, Oh, they're not going to find out yet who the nine people are. We're going to find that out at the end of this fight. So yeah. I'm not going to spoil it yet. You have to wait. <laughs> yeah, so go. we're going to be introduced uh, to my my new favorite villain of the show so far. His name is Indul. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm not 100% sure, I think it's Indul, like a, without the eh, but whatever. Yeah. It doesn't matter. He is, it's pronounced in Japanese, so it's hard to tell how we would pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, well, he is going to... Um, he is going to uh, Mr. Miyagi his way uh, through the end of this um, in, in that he uh, catches... He goes to catch a fly and then like barely, you know, barely misses it. Um, And then he's like, dang, almost had it. And then he like listens for the fly again and knocks up uh, a rock with his like cane that he's walking around with. um, And it shoots up into the fly and kills it. And so you're just like, ooh, he's spooky. (laughs) Well, one reason that he doesn't look for the fly is because he's blind. Yes. And so he is the blind guy with supersonic hearing. He's doing the daredevil thing. He's doing the that captain from Bleach whose name is escaping me right now thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty into this trope. So he he is clearly the villain because he does a little bit of villain monologuing by himself on a sand dune in the middle of the Egyptian desert. Mm-hmm. And uh, then... We're going to see the JoJo crew, they're continuing to travel, and they come upon the helicopter from earlier. It has crashed and is totally mangled, and they're going to, there's, you know, two two crew members left in it since they brought the dog. One of them, they find the pilot, he's dead, and he is 
he's dead in a really weird way because his mouth is full of water, including a fish. And when they tilt his head over, enough water comes out that they surmise that he probably had some water, like, even all the way down into his lungs. And they're like, this dude drowned in the middle of the desert. How is this possible? They find the other guy, and he's alive, and he is clearly completely dehydrated and is, like, as, you know, barely able to speak, but he's begging for water. And so they try to give it to him out of Jojo Sr.'s canteen, and the water murders him. Yeah, it's it 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 really does murder him. Actually, it's like yeah, it happens. It happens so unexpectedly too. Um, and the way that it does it is like by cutting off his head and then just squirreling his head away into the canteen. <laughs> so, yeah, it just sucks it in. I'm, that's also never explained. <laughs> Why slash how did it get a full grown man's head through the tiny bottle opening of a canteen of water? Uh, it also doesn't do anything with the head. It's just um, just some special effects because we have the budget, I guess. So yeah, the other thing that, gonna... that is going to happen for like the rest of like the next five or ten minutes of the episode is that it's just going to be blood coming out of this canteen. And I'm just like, I don't oh, yeah. know if you know like human anatomy, but like you don't have that much blood in your head. <laughs> like it's. It's not that much that it's going to bleed for, like, hours. The blood-filled canteen feels like, you know, your middle school emo screamo band. (laughs) We are a blood-filled canteen. (laughs) Um, So, they realize immediately... And, I'll side note, we're going to get into this later in this episode, but they are not the kinds of people who always realize immediately when something has happened. They realize at the pace that the story needs them to realize when something is happening, and at all other times they are completely dense and like, oh, how could this have happened to anyone? Um, so they realize this time immediately that they are, that the water is a stand and that they are currently under attack. Um, they then get attacked a few times, but not like that serious. And then the, um, dead pilot, his watch goes off, like the watch alarm and the water, it's like shooting out of the ground and attacking them and then sucking back into the ground. And the water goes and attacks the watch. And they realize that the water is being drawn by sound. It's not they. It's not following them in any way other than the sound they're making, and so they have to defeat it by being super quiet. Yeah, which is and not usually what the JoJo crew does. Um, they are the loudest people ever. <laughs> so Kakuin gets real fucked up. He gets slashed in the face and across the eyes. Yeah, he gets and cut in his eyes. Yeah, he. Oh my God. <laughs> I love you so much right now, Spencer. <laughs> Thank you for this. Okay, so uh, <laughs> the next thing that is going to happen with them is uh, we are going to like zoom out um, and go see that Indul is um, he is going to be listening through the ground um, by sticking his staff into the ground, uh, not a sexual metaphor, um, and listening up into the distance um, about what's going on with them. Um, uh, it, they figure out, because it's the sound, that maybe they can trick the uh, the water to go attack somewhere else. Um, and so in order to do this, um, 
uh, Abdalt is going to pull off some of his, like, big old chainy jewelry that he, like, bought from, you know, the gaudy store, um, and throw... Yeah, he's got those big-ass dongles that you see, like, white women wear a lot, where they just, like, have the giant, thick, round bracelets, and that are just, like, hanging on their wrists and flopping around, and then he, like, pulls off, like, five of these things and throws them. He throws them in perfect order, in order to make them look like footsteps, um, and that is, uh, what the, uh, our villain is going to think is happening. Um, so his water is going to go and start attacking, try to attack that area. Um, and, uh, it is also, uh, it is also revealed like around this same time as well, um, that he can, he can hear just when they are standing on the ground. And that made me like a little bit confused about like how he knew exactly where the helicopter was. Like, wouldn't the helicopter? They, they be, mention like, that later. Okay. Like, wouldn't um, the helicopter they be talk like about way how... higher up into like the atmospheres? Yeah. They. So he he doesn't. He can hear really well, and the best way for him to hear is vibrations in the earth. Mm-hmm. But he can hear other things, and they basically are like, oh, the helicopter is so loud that there's no... That's why he found them, because it's too loud. Yeah. And they can't, you know... Well, in order to get... That's the explanation. In order to get away from this, they all get on top of the car, and then the car is... Well, the Avdol thing happens first. So Avdol, his plan is to trick Ndul into thinking that he has walked five steps. Duel will then attack the space he thinks he is, and Avdol will use his ability, Crimson Red, to burn the water up so that there is no more stand to attack them. Oh, yeah. And Duel realizes at the last second, as he is launching the attack, that this is exactly what their plan was. And uh, it, partly because he he has, like, intel on all these people, and he knows that Avdol is, like, blinked out as hell. Mm-hmm. So he then diverts <laughs> his attack... To hit the real Avdol where he's standing. Um, and so basically Crimson Red is able to singe the water. Which, as you may know, if when a stand is injured, the stand user is injured almost always in a an identical way. Not always, but almost always. Um, and so Ndul gets a little burn on his shoulder because his water got hit by the fire. But he is able to mostly avoid the attack and attack back at Avdol. And he gets him good. He, like, slashes his neck, and you hear Avdol, like, choking on his own blood, it sounds like. Yeah. He's gonna make it, but it doesn't seem like it. Yeah. Which is extra funny, because he was just revived through the power of narrative (laughs) convenience in the last episode. Yeah. But uh, with a new season-ish comes new possibilities of death. Um, so, um, they get on top of the car, they pull everybody on top of it, um, he figures out that they are probably on top of the car, so he starts to submerge the car, but before it starts to submerge, Iggy jumps out of the car and runs off, and, like, every single time the dog does anything, um, Indul is just like, oh, the dog did something, I better worry about the dog, the dog is the enemy, Uh the dog is the biggest enemy, the dog knows everything, and I'm just like, where? are you getting this information from <laughs> like, he shouldn't have it the dog is a new character none of the jojo crew except senior and avdol knew the dog existed at all yeah. before any of this happened mm-hmm. and they've he has not been traveling with them so they the 
he arrived right before this attack started. The information should not be there. He should not know anything about the dog except that it is a dog. And he should therefore ignore it. And he does the opposite. Yeah. Also, everybody is on the car so that uh, Ndul can't hear them. And they are just screaming at the top of their lungs from the car <laughs> about how everybody needs to be really quiet. <laughs> yeah. These so, guys would all lose quiet mouse immediately every time. Yeah. So the car begins to sink because that's obviously what you would do if you had water powers in the sand desert. I don't know why. Um, but uh, they have to get off of this car and then uh, Jojo, so that everybody doesn't get attacked, um, goes and runs and picks up Iggy by the neck and starts running full speed out into the desert um, towards where he believes Indul is. Um, he Yeah, is, he's realized that Iggy can tell where the attack is coming from yeah. and he's basically going to grab him and force him to cooperate yeah so the next thing that is going to happen is the next manifestation of uh iggy's power which is that he can turn his transformer sand beast into a glider um and they use this to start gliding over the sand dunes uh, as they continue go to over to Indul. um Indul uh tries to chase after jojo and loses track of them because they're up inside of the air um iggy by the way is continuing to fart at a you know a super fast pace on jojo at all times um and he's stress farting yeah he is he is also beginning to lose altitude because jojo weighs too much um and so they're going down uh jojo um in order to get them back up into the air has to kick off of the ground super hard with star platinum um and that alerts in duel to pretty much where they are and so um in duel is just like you know what else i can do i can throw a bunch of sand up into the air and then as it comes down and rains upon this glider i can hear it so that i can attack really uh really successfully and know exactly where you are and your altitude yeah it's a a really cool plan and it works really well and i love this part and then jojo realizes they are about to get attacked and his solution is to throw iggy with all of his might utilizing star platinum directly at Ndul. Yeah. And the the idea is essentially that Iggy has been thrown and it, they are going to collide and it will hurt both of them. They are also both stand users and Iggy is able to summon his where he is. So if Iggy summons his stand to protect himself, he will injure and possibly kill Ndul. Ndul therefore cannot attack Jojo because he's got to get his stand back, which has to travel through physical space to reach him in order to protect his own self. This results in one of the coolest moments I've seen in the show, maybe the coolest moment for me, which is the moment in which they are about to collide and Iggy summons his stand out of nowhere and it just like slams into Ndul. And it just looks great. Mm -hmm. it, the animation quality has improved. We will notice this in two episodes. Um, it's better. And I think they may have changed directors too, because the action sequences are smoother and clearer. And I'm really feeling it. Yeah. So, yeah. JoJo's Gambit works because while he was um, racing to protect himself, which he does successfully do, JoJo was able to move around without being heard. Mm. Duel starts to listen and is like, where are you? And JoJo's like, right behind you. And it's <laughs> super badass. And 
he goes to attack Jojo. Uh, Jojo Star Platinum is faster, and he ends up punching him in the face. Um, he goes down into the he down into the ground really hard. He loses track of his stand, um, and he is not completely knocked out. Jojo wants to give him a like a little bit of um, you know leeway. He's like, I'm not going to kill you, um, and instead, in duel, kills himself with his own stand. Because he's just like, I know that Hermit Purple could uh, get information out of me. I will never get you, give you the information that you want about uh, about Dio. Because Dio was the first person that really challenged me inside of this world. I respect him more than anybody else. I yeah. care about him more than anybody he, else. And I would die for him. He basically explains that like, he's lived his life as a blind person who could protect himself with a stand. That was able to hurt or kill people without anybody being able to tell what was happening or being able to trace it back to him. He's always been able to protect himself and take care of himself, but he's never had anybody recognize those qualities in him because it was a secret. Dio was the first person to recognize him. Mm -hmm. He also says something about the reason that he liked Iggy, the dog. And the reason he paid so much attention to him was that he felt a kinship with him um, based on the way that he uses his powers, which is like selfishly. And, the way that like his powers make him misunderstood or something. Um, so I guess that kind of gets explained. Um, and then he's going to throw Jojo a bone, which is that he's going to confirm that there are nine stand users that are in Egypt around uh, Dio and that their stands are based on something else. This time it's based on Egyptian gods because of course they are. <laughs> yeah. And what are the odds? <laughs> and uh, before we ended the, in this episode, um, Jojo is going to be able to pick up his uh, water badge um, from Induel um, and uh, continue <laughs> on from there to uh, Pewtertown, um, which, you know, anyways. Um, <laughs> on the next Pokemon. <laughs> so episode 53 is called Canoe. Oh, I'm doing your thing. I'm sorry. Oh, episode 53. You son of what's a bitch. the name of it? Spencer. So this is episode it? is going to be, uh, um, I, I like that you gave it back to me so that you didn't have to pronounce these people's fucking names. Um, I can pronounce them if you want me to. I, I think it's Kunum, uh, Kunum Zinyata and Thoth's, uh, Mandata. Um, and I think it's Kunum, but it doesn't matter because we don't have to say those anymore. I know. The, so the only... here's something weird. Yeah. I was going to talk about this episode. Too. <laughs> about the names of the brothers? Yes. So, in the name of the episode, so I think you and I both watched this on Hulu, is that right? Yeah. So, we also watched it in Japanese with subtitles. Mm-hmm. Every time the brothers refer to themselves, they are named as Zenyata and Mandata. However, their names are Oingo and Boingo. Yep. This is explicit that one of them has a power who creates a manga comic about themselves, and it is called Oingo and Boingo. They also frequently refer to each other as Oingo and Boingo. Yep. It is a running joke. I hate it. And the end credits are replaced with a song that they sing about themselves, which prominently features them saying Oingo and Boingo. I hate that they changed this. I I don't don't know why they did it. Why did they do this? It doesn't make any sense. Every time I'm like, never, ever, ever did any of them say Zenyatta or Mandata. I don't know why those names exist. I don't know where they got them. They're nothing like Oingo and Boingo. 
but that's what they were called in the Hulu translation of this episode title and all of the subtitles. And it might, it might, I'm suspicious that this is what they're called in the English version. And I don't know if that's true. Why would you change them from Oingo and Boingo? That's funny. And it fits with the episode. Yeah. Anyways. Um, anyway. <laughs> so these two characters are going to be our team rocket of the Jojo uh, Bizarre Adventure universe. Um, they are it. ridiculous. Uh, number one. Uh, number two, they are obnoxious, uh, but in a very good way. Um, and I, I would say that very rarely inside of anime is somebody obnoxious, especially and Jojo's fun to watch. Yeah. So, um, their, yes. their two par- powers are as follows. There is an older brother, which I believe is Oingo. Um, he has the ability to yes, change. Yes, I know he's Oingo. I don't know if he's Zenyatta or Mandata, yeah. but he's definitely Oingo. So Oingo has the ability to change his face, body, voice, um, and the even the way that he smells, he says at one point. Um, and yeah. uh, that is from his stand. His younger brother, who's going to be Boingo, has the ability to predict the future in manga form, where they are both drawn in really gross, grotesque ways. Um, kind of like, yeah. think about like, uh, like the, the old MTV comic stuff. Um, if you ever, if you remember any of that, when they used to do like the, 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 uh, uh, the cartoon shows at night where they would do like Aeon Flux and then they would do other shows. Um, this one's drawn in that same really creepy style, um, or like the, the monsters from like heavy metal, um, are, are kind of like this as well. It's like if Picasso put everybody's faces back in the right order and then drew manga. Yeah. It's really, it's really wacky and weird. Um, so what they're going to be doing is it's upsetting and off putting, but I kind of like it. Um, so, and also one cool thing about Boingo's manga power is that it's passive. Yeah. He is reading the manga, but the pages that predict the future appear when they appear. He has no apparent control over it, and what they reveal is not influenced by him. So he is passively watching a prediction of the near future, and he's able to obviously act on what he sees there, but it doesn't come up when he wants it to, only when it happens, he has no bearing on what it says, and they explicitly state over and over again that there is nothing you can do. Once a prediction has been made, it will come true. Yeah. So, so. they are going to uh, read inside of there that the only thing that they need to do is that they need to poison the, the JoJo's, JoJo's crew. Because if they poison this tea, then the uh, they see at the the last panel of the manga that comes up is the JoJo's crew is going to be drinking that tea. So we then cut to the JoJo's crew who's like wandering into town. Um, they are going to all be doing really dickish things, by the way. Um, so they they're awful. Yeah, they they are a great example of what not to do when you visit someone else's place or country. I re- don't like, make an ass of for yourself. fucking real. Okay, so um, so but there's a really funny joke about Polner up in here that I genuinely <laughs> love. Okay, so the first thing that's going to be happening inside of there is that we're going to find out our two injured characters from the previous uh, two episodes are going to be in the hospital. Um, they're going to be finding out uh, that, uh, that uh, God, what, 
why can't I think of his name? Um, Ke- it's Ke- Avdol and Kakyoin. Yeah, Kakyoin is uh, maybe losing his eyesight, but we're not 100% sure yet. Um, Avdol is going yeah. to be fine, is what they're told. Meanwhile, because yeah, Jojo- he just came back from the dead, so we got to keep him around for a yeah. little bit. So meanwhile, Jojo Sr. and Jojo Jr. are going to be wandering around the town. Um, and uh, and Falderiff is going to be smoking a cigarette. And then he just fucking flicks his lit cigarette, and wherever it lands and points to, he's going to go over to that, um, uh, or yeah. go over to the tea shop of that. Um, so they go into this tea shop, um, and the tea shop is being run by Oingo, um, who has, uh, I assume, just murdered whatever the person was that was he running does. The you tea see shop. him, yeah. So he yeah. he is going to try to serve them tea immediately jojo senior is like let's not drink tea and he's just like fuck they're not gonna drink tea he's like his his explanation for it is we are in egypt we are surrounded by enemies that we don't know they might try to poison us we can only drink things that have been sealed and unopened yeah he is literally avoiding the problem that's about to happen i know so it's a perfect Team Rocket scenario. Um, and it's so, so great. And so um, he he then is just like, we should drink cola, but only if it's cold because I don't want hot cola. Because And then a guy <laughs> on the other side is just like, this cola is hot. Who unplugged the cola machine? And then he's just like, so oh, stupid. well, I don't want to drink. Uh, I don't want to drink hot cola. So let's just go to a different tea shop. And they go outside <laughs> and they're just like, the other tea shop is on fire because somebody flicked a lit cigarette ran out on the ground <laughs> and Falder is, like, is like who would do that <laughs> some people are assholes and he's completely unaware it is so fucking funny <sighs> oh my so god so they go back in they order the tea they get the tea it has been poisoned they put the tea up to drink it they put it in their mouths and before they have the chance to swallow it Iggy bursts in and does something to some other patron, which makes them, like, as Japanese people, they are, like, embarrassed and shocked, and it causes them to spit out the tea. Yeah, so... This is a trip you see a lot. I don't know if you see it in real Japan, but you see it a ton in anime. Yes. And that's what they do. So they they did drink the tea according to the manga page, but they did not ingest the tea, and so they have not been poisoned. Yeah. So they're going to chase after Iggy and then uh, kind of wander off. Jojo Jr. is going to go and uh, see how everybody is doing at the hospital. He's just taking a leisurely walk to get there. Um, And then, um, uh, meanwhile, the new manga pages are coming up for Boingo. Um, And in this, he sees Jojo um, get his face exploded in half um, by a orange bomb. Um, and so they're just like, oh, so what we should do is we need to make a bomb. We need to make it look like an orange. And then in order to get it inside of the car, I'm just going to put it inside of this bag of oranges that they've conveniently already bought. So he makes an orange yeah. bomb. He goes to try to put it inside of the car. And then, uh, while he is putting it inside of the car, um, Jojo Sr. and Polnareff are going to show up. So he needs to very quickly look like somebody who is not, uh, needs to be there. And so what he does is he changes his face and my favorite part, which is his hair into Jojo's hat and face. And, uh, he, he's like, stands up and he's like, Hey guys, what's going on? <laughs> 
This is this episode is basically a Looney Tunes episode. Oh, it's really it's really funny. So basically, the the rest of the episode, and this is a large portion of the episode, is going to entail this guy is trapped, looking like JoJo, because the other guys are going to visit the hospital, and he can't think of a way to get himself out of this road trip. So he is stuck in the car with them with the orange bomb, and he is. He realizes that he is the one that the prediction was made about. It is a JoJo lookalike that is going to get blown up, and it's him. And so he is doing everything he can to get rid of the orange and then get out of the car so that he doesn't look like JoJo, so the prediction doesn't come true about him. And it's just like he throws the orange out the window, and then Iggy grabs it and jumps back in the car with the orange. And then Kakyoin is doing this thing where he's like challenging JoJo to show him these weird tricks specifically tricks involving him balancing cigarettes in his mouth. And so basically this dude is like torturing himself, trying to prove that he's Jojo by doing these like insane tricks that are physically hurting him. And um, Kakuin is basically none the wiser, but like this dude has to play along so that they don't beat the shit out of him, Mm -hmm. which at some point he's like, if I change back now, they will beat me up. But if I don't, I'm going to die. And he doesn't. And I'm like, one of these is worse than the other, dude. (laughs) Yeah, for real. Anyways, um, he is going to go back and forth with them. um, And he is going to have the orange that is secretly a bomb be picked up by Polnareff. Um, Polnareff is just like, I'm just going to eat this orange. And every time he's about to eat it, he's just like... He's trying to figure out a way to get him, like, to not eat it. And the last thing that he figures out to do is he's like, I have to get out of this car. In order to do this, I have to make my stomach look upset. Oh, my God, my stomach is upset. I need to get out of the car. And when he gets out, uh, Polnareff is just like, okay, have a good time. And he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to go behind this rock and shit. And they look for a moment, like, really like really angrily at him for a moment. And he's like, oh, no, they've seen some of my ruse. And then Polnareff is just like, Okay, well, don't take too big of a shit behind that rock. We're going to drive away. <laughs> and so they just drive off, and on their way off, it looks like the, he like is going to just kind of run over to this rock. And Polnareff is just like, oh, well, this was, uh, this was in you know, in the ground beforehand, and he picked it up off the it, side it of the road. It was in Icky's mouth. It was in Icky's mouth. I don't want this. And it could have been anywhere. Yeah, he, and these are all arguments that that Oingo made to him to try and prevent him from setting off the bomb. And he, his arguments worked finally. So he throws it out the window. Yeah. When he throws it out the window, it happens to land underneath Oingo's foot as he's running, he steps on it and then explodes. Um, and then, uh, Boinko <laughs> is going to find him and they're going to be like, well, I got hurt, but I'm not dead. And then I forgot to mention this earlier, but for no reason earlier, they just beat the shit out of this guy and stole his wallet. Um, and he's going to find Oingo and Bongo at that face. point. Yeah. And they're just going to, he's going to be with like a new group, like gang of people and they're all just going to beat the ever living shit out of them. And then we have my favorite part of the entire episode, which is like, they get to the, they get to the hospital and they're like, Jojo's just getting there as well. And they're like, Oh, Jojo, how did you get here so fast? And then Paul Durf was just like, yeah, how did you shit so fast and then run all the way over here <laughs> and get your dry cleaning. <laughs> Yeah, and it all caps off with, like, the Oingo and Boingo pair having been beaten near to death 
by this crowd of angry men being brought past Jojo and the crew and into the hospital that they're visiting because they have been incapacitated and taken out of the fight. Mm-hmm. And the Kakuin and Jojo, or uh, Polnareff and Jojo Sr. are like, huh, that guy has really familiar clothes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's a great... So ad- we're like... We're running pretty late, so let's blitz through these last two just real quick. Yeah, the nice thing about these last two episodes is that it 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 features some of the best fighting so far inside of JoJo Bizarre Adventure, and it's a pretty it simplistic. Looks great. Yeah, it's a pretty simplistic fight sequence, or um, it's a pretty simplistic arc of what is going on inside of these care these episodes. It's really just like yeah. two fights in two episodes that you really need to pay attention to, um, but they're fantastic and you should just watch these two episodes actually all five episodes yeah. that we've watched today it's i it's really weird but they're I, really I, good i think i like this show now um but anyways yeah. um if you have agreed with us that jojo's bizarre adventure is too much or is not your thing it is worth watching these episodes to see if you like it and the numbering is weird we've got it numbered as 51 through 55 because we're doing legacy numbering we are we started with episode one of part one, and we didn't change the numbers between the parts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll see them listed as parts or seasons where the numbering resets. On Wikipedia, it has both. Um, but for ease of use, these are the first five episodes of the Battle in Egypt section yeah. of the story. Yeah. So um, you can find it any one of those ways. Um, and yeah, so these episodes that are titled... Oh, uh, episode 54 and 55, Anubis, part one and part two. Um, these two episodes are going to be um, really all about this demon enchanted sword. Um, it is going to be found by a, uh, a group of people that are just working in the middle of the desert. Um, one of them uh, is a, the son of this older guy, um, and they are going to find the sword. One of them tries to pull the sword free and can't. Um, then the younger son ends up being able to pull out the sword. The sword is malicious in the way that it just casually murders people. Um, it yeah. falls over to the side at one point and just cuts through this guy's neck. Um, it then accidentally cuts into... Cuts into his head. Yeah, well, it cuts somebody's neck and then it cuts somebody's head. And then um, there's the guy that um, that ends up picking it up. He gets possessed by it and told that uh, he is the stand... His, his user died 500 years ago, um, and he is this super powerful stand that in, it basically infects you when you're holding it. Um, think about like yeah. the Soul Eater it, episode like that we just covered. His stand user was like this... Yeah, his stand user was basically this like really skilled uh, blacksmith mm-hmm. and made this thing, and then the stand persisted past his death, and now, it's, now it possesses you when you hold it. It's kind of similar. It's like the reverse of... Uh, it's or no, it's not. It's like exactly what happened in the most recent Soul Eater episode. Yeah, that's that what covered. I just said. <laughs> oh, sorry, I uh, I didn't hear you because of the delay in the phone. So, okay, sure. Um, so now you've heard it twice, so it's double true. <laughs> so he's gonna Anubis is working for Dio, so he wants to go find the JoJo crew. Um, we also he's gonna murder the last relative of this guy before they head off, and he's gonna do something cool when he does it. He slashes through a cow. In order to slash this guy, but the cow is not hurt. Yeah, but the guy is uh, so cut the sword in can. Half. Yeah, the the sword. Basically, we're going to learn very quickly that the sword is able to make itself intangible 
in whatever way it wants to. So it can pass through things. Um, we're about to see it cut. Uh, so basically next, Polnareff is going to get drawn away by Iggy, who in this episode literally only shows up to get him to go to the place where he fights this guy. Like at this point in the series, okay, Iggy was brought in in the first episode we covered today because Jojo Sr. said, this guy is really powerful. It's a stand user and we need help on this quest. Iggy has so far not helped them at all intentionally. He has accidentally helped them once or twice, but he is completely selfish doing his own thing. And he's caused more trouble than he's worth almost. He's basically the villain that's traveling with them at this point, And I don't get it. Mm-hmm. There was no justification given for why he has to be there. And so far there hasn't been any scene. Yeah, they tried to write and in. I would that- usually be okay with it because he's a dog, but his face is weird. Yeah, they tried to, they basically tried to create a new character because that girl from that last arc didn't work for some reason. Um, and yeah. so they introduced a dog instead. Um, so don't worry. Who has the dopest stand, so it's okay. Yeah. So Um, Polnareff is going to run away from the JoJo's crew while he's chasing after Iggy. Um, he is going to get into a fight with Chaka, the guy that has been possessed by Anubis. Um, this fight sequence is one of those that I'm going to tell you to pause this episode. I know you've listened to it for a really long time, but watch this fight sequence. It is one of the best fight sequences that I've seen in the show so far. Um, it involves Polnareff fighting with Chaka through this maze of pillars yeah. and it is very the animation well quality, animated it's really high it's definitely higher than the show has been before they've clearly upped their game for this second part of part three mm-hmm. and um also it's really well directed yeah um and that's not something i notice a lot in animation in general and an anime in particular but i can tell because it's such a hot such an improvement over JoJo's Bizarre Adventure up to this point that I can tell that something has changed and I noticed that the fights were clearer, smoother, and that the action was more exciting and the camera work is a part of that, the direction is better. Yeah. Um, so so uh, the end of the fight is basically, it, there's going to be a lot of back and forth between Polnareff and Chaka. That's like the, it's like 20 minutes of the episode is all about this fight. Um, and the the fight is going to wrap up with uh, Polnareff using his ability to throw um, his sword out and stab Chaka to take him down. And he calls it an ability. You're literally just throwing something. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so the, Polnareff, sit down. <laughs> the dumbest part of this, though, is that uh, he is just going to pick up the sword that was lost by this guy that was fighting with it and then just be like, I guess I'll take this. And that takes us into yeah. Anubis Part 2, um, where Polnareff is possessed. There, <laughs> there is a cool part in the fight where Polnareff gets slashed, but the he gets slashed through a pillar. This is when he learns that the sword can phase. The pillar is not slashed, Polnareff is slashed, and Polnareff's shirt is not slashed. And I thought that was a really interesting um, detail, and I really liked that. So I wanted to mention it. Um, but he wins, he takes the sword, rejoins the JoJo crew, and then... He goes to get a shave. And this is what I mentioned earlier, that these are the most gullible characters, except when they're not. And it is completely based on narrative convenience. So sometimes they are really on top of their shit and really careful. Like earlier when Jojo Sr. was like, we can't drink anything that's handed to us that's been that's been handled because we might be poisoned. And he was totally right. And sometimes they go to get a shave where a stranger is holding a blade to their neck. Yeah, it just... just- 
Come on. Just don't. Yeah. Don't do this. Anyways, um, so they are going to, um, like I said before, uh, Paul Nerf is going to get possessed, and then there's going to be another great fight. Um, it is going to be this time between Jojo and Paul Nerf uh, while he's possessed. There's a... There's a possession of the the guy that's shaving Polnareff first, and during this possession, we learned that the sword not only possesses people, but it seems to have a, I would assume part of its stand ability is that it is a fast learner, and that's specifically to say that if you use a move against it, it learns the counter to that move immediately, and so you can't use the same move twice. Yeah. And it starts to beat them. They are able to use a, a new move where JoJo's Star Platinum catches the sword as it's coming at him. And he breaks the blade of the sword um, and punches the guy away, which frees him. Mm-hmm. And then that's when Polnareff becomes possessed. Yeah. So Polnareff and JoJo, this is another part where you should definitely watch this fight if you haven't seen it before. It's really good. Um, it's, it's a very good back and forth fight um, where... Uh, Both of these are good fights and high action episodes. They're yeah. worth it. So um, the the fight is going to continue back and forth until Polnareff eventually gets the upper hand uh, by using this magical to- new technique, which is just to hold both swords at the same time. Um, just like uh-huh. they keep well, on, he's, he's able to use sil- silver chariot and Anubis at the same time. Yeah, which is pretty pretty good because it not only gives him extra swords, but like at one point, silver chariot appears to parry a blow from Star Platinum, and it's like an arm of Silver Chariot basically coming out of Polnareff's back. So he's, like, fighting two swordsmen at once. Yeah, and Star Platinum is starting to really lose ground. He is not um, he is not able to stand up to Polnareff, and so he comes up with a gambit, which is that he is going to take a blow um, from, uh, from Silver Chariot uh, to his stomach, um, but because the sword is... Uh, the the sword is not fully intact still um he is going to be able to um kind of like catch it before it goes completely inside of his body um and uh he's going to be able to um then break the sword so I, another, I don't completely he, understand how he doesn't like get fully stabbed here like it feels like he is somewhat do. stabbed he does so I do, and the reason that he wins is because JoJo's true power is wordplay. And so what he says, he gets stabbed in the stomach. Star Platinum grabs the sword to prevent it from going in further. So he's stabbed, but it's a shallow cut. And he looks at Polnareff, who's possessed by Anubis, who's talking to Anubis, and he's like, are you going to like run me through? Like, Are you going to continue to stab me and drive this sword in? And Anubis is like, yes. And JoJo goes, if you do that, it'll be murder. And then Anubis is like, fuck you. And he starts to push in with all of his might. And at that moment, Star Platinum releases the sword and uses his super speed to launch a volley of punches at the sword as it's being pushed into his stomach. So instead of going into him, he is snapping off shards of the sword left and right. And Anubis is inadvertently pushing it himself uh, as the blade into the punches because he's thrusting forward with all of his might. This means that the sword has been completely shattered. Yeah. Then Polnareff is freed. The sword is chucked away. And then there is this final bit that is hilarious where Anubis is not dead. He has been very wounded, but he's going to try and get these guys. So a kid picks up the sword and is possessed by Anubis. He then 
goes to throw the sword at Jojo to kill him from afar while they're unsuspecting and their backs are turned. Iggy appears and trips the kid, so his aim is off. And the sword rockets past them and is chucked all the way to the Nile. Yes. And then there is something in the way, and he's like, oh, thank God, I'm going to hit this thing. It's like he's off, and there's gonna there's like a wall next to the edge of the river, and he's going to hit the wall. And then he's like, goes through it, and he's like, I got too excited, and I phased. <laughs> and then, then there's a boat on the, on the um, river, and he's like, oh, good, I'm going to hit the boat. And there's a guy on the boat. I can possess this guy. And then instead, he gets, like, blown in or the angle or whatever. He ends up getting stuck in the ass of this cow. The cow starts to go crazy because it just got stabbed. And Anubis is like, oh, God, what do I do? I guess I have to take over this cow now. And then I can pull myself up and, like, get into a human and take care of these guys. Except that the cow has panicked so much that it has fallen off of the boat and is hanging on by its front hooves. Anubis, having stabbed into its haunch, slides out and floats to the bottom of the river. And at the end, he's just like, hey, fishes, come over here. Hey, you crabs, do you want to carry me up to the surface? (laughs) If anybody helps me, I'll give you food. And then it just like pans away from me because I feel so alone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's our JoJo's Bizarre Adventure coverage for this week. Um, we're going to be back. We next ran week. long because we liked it. Yeah, we're going to be uh, covering our our uh, other show next week, which is going to be Hunter X Hunter, um, and then uh, we will be back after these credits. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level six sound wizard. Level up. Our podcast is ad-free, and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way, too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every Sunday on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Buzzsprout, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And hey, thanks for listening. Next week on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we are covering Hunter x Hunter episodes 76 through 78. Do you want ants? Because that's how you get ants. Deep cut.